All right, and welcome in everyone to another episode of Connor and Coverage. My name is Connor Riley. We are talking latest in Georgia football news. Uh, we are, I believe, 12 days now from the start of the 2021 season as Georgia gets ready to take on Clemson. We'll talk a little bit about that game tonight and where things stand with the Bulldogs there. They haven't quite started preparing yet for that game, but I, I think come Thursday's practice when we get to talk to players once again, I think that's where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about offensive tackles. That's obviously the headline for tonight. Some interesting comments made from Kirby Smart over the weekend. And obviously, I think there's just a lot of interest in general about Broderick Jones and Amarius Mims. And I think Kirby Smart outlines a, a very clear reason as to why that is the case. And then we're going to end it talking a little bit about pass catchers, uh, specifically the younger ones, guys that are going to need to step up as, you know, there are some question marks, in my opinion about what we're going to see from this wide receiver room. And so we'll touch on that at the end of the show. Obviously, we're going to take your questions here at the end. Obviously, we'll probably go about 10, 15 minutes. At some point, I will probably stop saying, obviously, over the course of the night. But without further ado, and let me guys know if there's any issues or it sounds like I'm underwater. We're working through some audio stuff here. And if it all sounds good, that would make me feel a lot better. But uh, without further ado, our first topic for tonight talking a little bit about about the development of Amarius Mims and Broderick Jones. These guys are five-star offensive tackles. Uh, I believe Mims was the number three offensive tackle in his class. Broderick Jones was the number two offensive tackle in his class. They were both seen as big recruiting wins. Different players in terms of who they are and what their ceilings are. I, I think Jones is the better pass pro right now. Obviously, I think he's a little bit better of an athlete in terms of moving side to side and laterally, but he's had to put on weight. Uh, he, he was not the 315-pound behemoth that Sam Pittman had traditionally recruited, but he is such an obvious talent that Georgia had to go out and get him, and they did, beating out a team like Auburn in the 2020 recruiting cycle. And then Mims, you know, the Isaiah Wilson comps, you know, may have changed a little bit given how Wilson had flamed out at the NFL. But this dude has the ideal body that you would want in a five-star offensive tackle. 6'7", 320 pounds, is every bit as athletic as, as Jones is, and there had been some thought coming into camp that maybe these guys push for that left tackle spot or a right tackle spot and ultimately see where those guys end up. And it hasn't exactly worked out that way. I, I feel pretty confident saying right now the starting offensive line for Georgia's first game will be Jamari Sawyer at left tackle, Justin Schaefer at left guard, either Warren Erickson or Cedric Von Prahn at center. That's the really only undecided part on the offensive line right now, in my opinion. Tate Ratledge, a right guard, and then Warren McClendon, who we're going to hear from tonight at right tackle. And so you have all that, and you wonder, okay, well, where do guys like Jones and Mims fit in? Because obviously Georgia wants to have those types of players on the field. You look back at that 2017 team that made it to the college football playoff. You had two first-round offensive tackles on your team. Obviously, it took Andrew Thomas a little bit longer to get there, given he was a freshman. But Isaiah Wynn was your starting left tackle on that team. And so – Kirby Smart was asked this weekend, you know, where are the developments with those guys? As it sounds like the Georgia offensive line, at least for this first game against Clemson, sounds pretty set. Here's what Kirby Smart had to say about Jones and Mims. And I thought, pay attention to what he says here, specifically about discussing them as five-star prospects, because obviously that draws a lot more attention. And so because of that, I, I think that's worth paying attention to when Smart calls it out. Fairly so, in my opinion, right? Here. They're talented uh, players, everything they're advertised to be. I think, unfortunately, so many people – think so much of guys and they get rated by uh, you guys and so many people to be so high. It's hard to live up to that expectation, um, but they're talented. They're very talented. They, uh, they work hard. They're both great young men. They're having good camps. You know, Marius has missed some time. So it's been a tougher progress for him where Broderick 
has been healthy. He's been competitive. Um, he's played left and right tackle, and he's gotten better. And Amarius is getting better, but he hasn't been – he's had some low, low, lower back issue spasms. He's, he's had to sit out of some uh, practice time, but not necessarily a whole practice. So he hasn't got the, the, the reps. You just need reps, and you need lots of reps. And he's going to grow into being a really talented player. I'm excited about both of them uh, in terms of where they're going. Uh, and they're in the conversation right now at, at tackle, at both tackle. Yeah, so I think the important things to pay attention to there are obviously the expectations that come with being a five-star five star prospect. I saw one of our commenters, where's Clay Webb? Clay Webb is farther down the depth chart, and you know maybe it's because he was unfairly listed as a five-star, and, and people still have those expectations of him, of where he's going to play. But Justin Schaefer is an experienced starter. Tate Ratledge is an equally high-rated recruit. You know He was the number 38 overall prospect in the 2020 recruiting class, and so there's not a huge difference there. And I think because of that, there's a ton of competition on this Georgia offensive line. Warren McClendon, I know a, a, a lower-rated four-star compared to the two five-stars they have out there, he was a freshman All-American last season. Jamari Sawyer, while I don't think his long-term home is at left tackle, he was a five-star offensive lineman. So cracking this Georgia offensive line is no easy feat, especially when, as Smart mentions there, you they don't have that experience. And so I asked Kenny McIntosh, because I think he's a really good example of this. He was a guy who wasn't playing his freshman season in 2019, at least with the starters. You had DeAndre Swift as the lead running back. You had Brian Herrian. You had Zamir White ahead of him as well. Kenny McIntosh, that 2019 season was buried on the depth chart. But because of games against Murray State and Arkansas State, those blowout tight games, say Georgia Tech, for example, as well, he was able to get playing time and get experience later in games. And that way, when guys older than Kenny McIntosh ended up graduating and moving on, he already had a little bit of game experience and had already seen what it is like to play against competition outside of what you see at practice. And I thought his, his answer tonight when I asked him, you know, how much did that experience help you, especially as you've grown into a better and more important player for Georgia as a sophomore and junior, I thought was really illuminating. And it's something to sort of follow with Jones and Mims over the course of not just this season, but seasons going forward, because with the return of a non-conference schedule and, you know, that month of September, once you get past Clemson, UAB is a tricky game, but it's a game where you could very well see a blowout happening for Georgia and guys like Jones and Mims getting on the field. South Carolina should be an easy win. Vanderbilt should be an easy win. So you're going to see these guys on the field in September if Georgia's willing to take care of business in the first half and first three quarters there. And I thought McIntosh's answer on the value of getting that playing experience, even if it's not as a first team or even if it's not as a starter, just getting out there on the field was really valuable. And I'm going out there to, you know, go against other, you know, people rather than practice against your teammates um, to go see out, go see what you can do out there on the field and get comfortable with the game, you know, the, the speed of the game. I feel like um, that was important um, for me and definitely for the, you know, the next upcoming years that I have here at Georgia to, you know, get that, comfortable feeling back there in the backfield or playing in the, um, the games. I feel like that was um, a great, great thing that George did. So, yeah, you hear Kenny there, and it definitely helped him become, I think, the player he is now where he has a huge impact in that Cincinnati game when he's called upon because he's just had that experience before. Broderick Jones did not get that chance last season. I believe he played in only two games there for Georgia. And, and so, and Amarius Mims obviously coming in as a freshman has no experience whatsoever. So I, I think that experience cog is really key when you have guys, especially to start the season, Warren McClendon started nine games a season ago. Justin Schaefer started 10. Jamari Sawyer started 10. So you really only have Tate Ratledge breaking in as the newcomer. And we, I did ask Warren McClendon about how Tate Ratledge has improved because of the six top 100 overall offensive line prospects, Georgia signed in the last two classes, 
Ratledge is the first one to break through. He's the first one to earn a starting spot. And while it's not at that tackle position, it is impressive enough that he has gone in and beaten out, say, a guy like a Clay Webb who's been here a little bit longer, and Owen Condon, who's a little bit banged up right now. Some of the other names, Xavier Trust, say at left tackle, they they deem that Tate Ratledge was a better right guard than Xavier Trust was a left tackle. And I asked Warren McClendon, you know, what he thought about Tate Ratledge and how he's improved, even coming from spring to the fall where it, there's no question about it right now. Tate Ratledge is going to be starting that first game against Clemson. Kirby Smart said as much this weekend. So how did Tate Ratledge sort of make that leap and make that jump again where he didn't get a lot of experience last season? And here's what Warren McClendon had to say about Tate Ratledge. It's getting better every day, you know, with just getting the reps and in practice, you're getting the reps with him. And he's gotten better, you know, every day he comes in, puts the work in and gives everything, his, uh, gives, it, gives it his all. You know, so he's getting better every day. Yeah, so you hear Warren there pre- speak pretty confidently about Tate Rattledge. And I'm sure, you know, six, seven weeks from now, if, say, Mims does break into the starting lineup, or even a year from now when Jones and Mims are competing for starting time once again, you're probably going to hear something similar there. You know, Project Jones is always a little bit more of a developmental offensive lineman than maybe his five-star ranking indicated. He had to put on weight and had to gain strength his freshman year. That was just a reality of coming in. I don't think Amarius Mims has that same same type of hurdle to overcome. However, as, as we've heard Kirby Smart say, he's been battling a little bit of a back injury, a, a back issue back there. And they're going to be called upon next year because Jamari Sawyer is going to be gone. Justin Schaefer is going to be gone. And so Georgia still needs to find a way to play these guys and develop these guys, even if it's not, say, September 4th against Clemson or December 4th in the SEC championship game, which I think everyone here expects Georgia to be playing in. So you have to find a way to develop those guys and get them to a point where, yes, it might not be as fast as everyone expects a five-star player to see the field, but Georgia at some point is going to need Amarius Mims and Bradley Jones to be starters on this offensive line. I think Mims is maybe a more is it Mims is more your right tackle and Roger Jones might be your prototypical pass protecting left tackle there. So it's going to be interesting to see how they develop. And we asked Warren McLennan how through the eyes of another player, how those two players are developing. Here's what Warren had to say about the development of Amarius Mims and Roger Jones. But every day they come in and they give it their all, you know, the good thing about coach smart is everybody gets reps. So they're just coming along well and they're getting their reps and they're doing pretty well. And that's the point. They're, they're getting reps in practice. And if Georgia plays to its caliber this year, they're going to be getting reps in games. And that's going to be, I think, a really key part to getting Mims onto the field, to getting Broderick Jones on the field. I, I've written this before. I did a deep dive on it a year ago. Andrew Thomas is a true unicorn in terms of an SEC, cal- an, an SEC caliber offensive lineman coming in and starting right away at a tackle position. You just don't see that. You even look at a guy like Evan Neal, who's going to be a very high draft pick next year for Alabama. He came in and had to play guard right away. It's very difficult. And you even look at a guy like Tate Ratledge. It's not a coincidence, I think, that he's coming in a, at a guard, even though he might have some of the measurables you'd look for in a tackle there. So it's easier to, I think, make that introduction to the starting lineup when you're at a guard or even a center position there. And it's that tackle one that's really tough because a lot of times you're going to be out there on your own. And so you you need that game experience. You think back to Jamari Sawyer, him having not, not so much experience at the left tackle position, but game experience for Georgia in the Sugar Bowl against Baylor in 2020, that helped him out tremendously. And so that's something that I'm going to be interested in watching. And even though Mims and Jones aren't starting for Georgia against Clemson on September 4th, 
how they develop is going to be a, a storyline worth following for the rest of the season. So that's our first topic there for tonight. This is Connor and coverage. We do about three topics tonight. We're going to touch a little bit on Clemson here coming up and then the Georgia wide receivers as well. And before answering your questions there at the end of the night, thanks again for tuning in. We do this every Tuesday. You can watch us on the dog nation homepage, the app now, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, and then if you listen to us on a podcast platform, we appreciate that there as well. You can get us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google play, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you get your videos, we're there and we're bringing coverage to you. So moving on to our next topic here, you know, as we slowly approach single digits, we are believe now 12 days out from that Georgia Clemson game, maybe 11 days out. My math isn't exactly too sharp, but we are slowly making our way to that September 4th, first game of the season against Clemson and Kirby smart said on Saturday that Georgia's second scrimmage had sort of signaled the end of fall camp that practice that period where those guys are in the georgia center hotel where they're working hard even harder than they usually would where they don't have to adhere to the 20 hour rule because classes hasn't haven't started yet they have now they started last wednesday they had their second scrimmage and so it's natural to wonder okay well when does the clemson ramp up really begin kirby smart had previously said around 10 days which would put them on Thursday's practice is really when they start focusing on Clemson. And so we asked players tonight, Kenny McIntosh and Warren McClendon, sort of what they thought about that Clemson game, where Georgia has started preparing for it. What have they done? What do they think of that game? What what was their potential? And reality is they haven't exactly thought about it a whole lot, at least publicly. Now we know, obviously this is some coached up aspect of it. Say, Hey, you don't want to give them any bulletin board. You don't want to say you're really focused on them. This is just sort of the, the the way the media game is played. But so here's Kenny McIntosh talking about, you know, what he thinks about Clemson and when they're going to get into it. And while they say they haven't gotten into it yet, I, I think that's just a little bit more coach speak that you hear here from these players. Not really. Georgia is really focused on Georgia, on what we can do on the ball, on the field. Um, not really too worried about um, what Clemson or what they can do. Really focused on um, what Georgia, what we can and what we cannot do and what we need to work on. So, um, mindset not, not really changed so coming out of camp until now. So Right, and you know, I'd like to quote Snoop Dogg here, even if I, you know, he's a little older than me, but uh, study wrong, study long, or st- excuse me, I got it wrong there. Study long, study wrong, and if you're so worried about this Clemson game, one, you're not going to focus on what you do well and what you as an individual can improve on, but by the time you get to that Clemson game, you might be a little bit burned out. You might be oversaturated and overprepared for that game. And your mind is just sort of in a fog. And so because of that, you want to obviously stress the importance of this game. It is the first game. It is a game that has college football playoff implications, something that I think maybe five games this year at most will be able to say between both teams. And so it's certainly something that you want to stress and stress the importance of it but you don't want to overload it. And so, you know, we asked Warren McLennan, what does he think about the Clemson defensive line and gave an answer a little bit similar to Kenny McIntosh downplay that they had really started looking at it. But at the same point in time, he is well aware of how talented this Clemson team is and they all sort of are. And so obviously they're taking this team seriously, even if their actual words say they haven't started focusing on Clemson yet, as we are now slowly approaching single digits and we have one more Saturday before Georgia and Clemson meet on September 4th in Charlotte. Here's Warren McClendon talking a little bit about the Clemson defensive line, though, not giving away all too much. No, we really haven't gotten into Clemson yet. We're still working on ourselves. So I really, we really haven't watched any film on them yet. We've just been working on ourselves. Uh, They have a pretty good defensive line and, you know, we'll get in there, watch the film on them when when that time comes and it should be a good game. You know, they have a good defensive line and we pride ourselves on being a good offensive line. So it'll be a good game. 
Yeah, Warren McClendon is obviously going to be a key part of that Georgia-Clemson game because he's going to be a guy tasked with blocking Miles Murphy, with blocking Xavier Thomas, with helping block Brian Brzee there for that Clemson defensive line. This Clemson defensive line is probably going to be the best one that Georgia faces this year. Now, the Bulldogs have the benefit of playing. It's a pretty darn good off- or defensive line in their own with guys like Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter, Trayvon Walker, and even edge rushers like Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith. That's going to help prepare them, I think, uniquely for this Clemson team. And the Georgia defensive line is probably the strength of the team right now, certainly from a health standpoint. You can say that with some of the injuries that we've seen happen to this Georgia team. And so because of that, this Georgia, they understand what, what's at stake against Clemson. They don't need to have this hammered into them months out. They know this is a giant proving, prove it game for this entire program. Georgia goes out and wins this game. It's going to answer a lot of the questions that exist about them. If they win, it's because probably JT Daniels played well or at least outplayed DJ Uyunglele, which would be a big step forward for Georgia, especially in some of those big name matchups. You think Alabama, you think LSU in recent years where the quarterback play has not exactly been stellar. And so if Georgia wins that game, they're going to have a huge feather in their cap. In my opinion, they'll have the number one resume in college football through the first week. That might not mean a whole lot, but as we get deeper in the season, and quite frankly, Georgia plays teams that aren't anywhere near as good as Clemson, they should get better from this, you know, and having play that and knowing what's at stake. And I think if you win this Clemson game, you get through the rest of your games, which again is a big if we, you know, you would have thought in the 2019 season, who would have predicted that Georgia lose to South Carolina there. They lost to LSU in 2018 teams that they were, I think better than, and ultimately just didn't get it done that day. And Georgia's got to get through that still. And you can even make the case last year against Florida, though I think the results played out the correct way that day. So Georgia's got to get through that. But if they get to the end of the regular season, they get to that SEC championship game with a 12-0 record and a win against the Clemson program that's going to run the table after that game against Georgia, that's a huge win for this program. And they're going to be looking very good for the possible college football playoffs. So obviously they understand the stakes. And even if you see the next couple of days, Georgia's not focused on Clemson yet. They're not all in on Clemson yet. This team is well aware of what is at stake this coming week, or essentially a little over a week now. This time next week, we'll be all in on Clemson, getting ready to go to Charlotte. It'll be a ton of fun. Uh, I will note that the city of Charlotte does have a mask mandate and that the stadium itself has a mask mandate as well. So if you're going to the game, bring a mask, have a mask with you. Obviously, you can you don't have to wear it while you were seated. But if you're traveling through the concourse, if you're staying at hotels, you will need to have a mask with you. Just a short little public service announcement there that is not, you know, in any way saying how what I believe in it. It is just that is a statement of fact right there. But we are getting close to that Clemson game. It's going to be a ton of fun. We're all looking forward to it. I think this Georgia team is as well. They understand the opportunity that is at stake here, even if they are publicly saying, hey, we're still focused on Georgia. Because at the end of the day, if Georgia wins this game, it's going to be because Georgia plays well and Georgia goes out and wins the game. It's not because Clemson plays poorly and, and things of that nature. Georgia, this is a game where Georgia needs to go out and win. And I think if you look back at some of the past games, you think that a couple of those Alabama games in the second half, they played not to lose. And, and Kirby Smart has, I think, drastically changed his philosophy since then, specifically that 2019 LSU game. They know that they need to go out and win this game in a four-quarter game instead of holding on and trying to ride the defense and, and play conservative football. They know how to go out and I think and win this game. It's just a question now of going out and actually doing it. So there's a little Clemson talk for you. This time next week, we will go all in on Clemson, probably a deeper look at this team, questions and concerns where Georgia can exploit them. I wrote today a little bit about the tight end position and how that was absolutely a spot where I thought Georgia could very much take advantage of this Clemson team. 
with the injuries that have set up there, that's probably not necessarily the case anymore. Unless you think a guy we're going to bring up here shortly, Brock Bowers has a stellar game in his first career game here for Georgia. But, you know, with some of the injuries that have piled up and obviously the Kyrus Jackson, Jermaine Burton news, it's gotten a little bit better there. I want to touch on a little bit about the young receivers and where they stand. Uh, I asked Kirby Smart this weekend, you know, Marcus Rosemey, Jack saying some of your other 2020 wide receivers, where do they stand? How are they progressing? And I will know before I go into this clip that I didn't ask, I didn't specify Lad McConkey. Lad McConkey has had by all accounts, a standout fall camp and is someone who's absolutely worked his way into the rotation. And you might see him, you know, make a real impact for this team this year. Obviously, he's not going to unseat Kyrus Jackson, but he might earn a couple snaps here. And while some people might be surprised by that, by all accounts, he's gone out and worked really hard and earned his reputation. But here's Kirby Smart talking about some of those other 2020 signees, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, Arian Smith, and Justin Robinson. Each one of those guys has had a, you know, competitive uh, tough physical camp. You know, each one has a different skill set. So uh, Marcus Roseman saying is a is a tough contested catch guy. He works so hard day in and day out and gives you everything he's got. Um, he's really good special teams player. You know, Justin has uh, taken on a, a little bit more ownership in terms of I'm going to be able to help this team and have a role in this team with his special teams uh, as a wide receiver and doing other things. And he's he's getting better. Um, and then Arian, you know, coming from track. Uh, he, he missed some of the summer workouts and he's not going to shut him down and not do everything. He's bounced back. He's been battling a couple of injuries here the last couple of weeks. He's had uh, some turf and toe injuries. Uh, toenail that got stepped on. It was just bad, really bad. But he's missed a little time. But they all three have a different skill set and they're all three are competitors uh, and they continue to grow and they're in that receiver rotation. So, yeah, I think that's really encouraging to hear specifically about Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, and Justin Robinson. Obviously, Rosemey. Jack Saint coming back from that gruesome ankle injury against Florida last year. I, I, I think the fact that we heard Kirby Smart saying Justin Robinson was taking ownership is a really positive sign for what he's going to be able to do this season. He's a guy who you know has the impressive physical tools. It was just a question of can he mentally put it all together. And I think you're going to see those two guys in that first game for Georgia play a lot of snaps there at that exposition. Now, obviously, the Arian Smith news, he has more speed than anyone on this team, and I expect him to play at least some role against Clemson. They're going to try and set him up and spring him free specifically. I think it, you look back to that, that Cincinnati game where he had the long reception. I think maybe that's a way you see him. I don't know if he's an every down contributor just yet for Georgia, but his speed alone is going to get him on the field if he is healthy. As someone who has had a, a toe injury similarly to what it was described there for Arian Smith, uh, it is extremely painful. You can play through it, but the second your toe gets stepped on, it is just like, I, I just need to take a play or two off. And it's really difficult to sort of get through that until your toe heals. And ultimately, the, that it's one of those injuries you just need time to get through. And so a little bit, you know, maybe not what everyone was looking for with Arian Smith, but I think he's still going to be healthy enough and he has been practicing to play a role for this Georgia team. Obviously, Jermaine Burton, I think, is going to be a leader who's voted third team all SEC today by the coaches. And I think that's certainly something to watch going forward, how he develops among this 2020 crew. He's already sort of separated himself from the other guys in there. Obviously, the year he had last year, the, the impressive play he had against Mississippi State there. And so how he develops into a leader, I think he's someone who has to lead Georgia in receiving yards this year if they're going to get to where they want to go. That's going to be really important to watch. And then, you know, two of the other real stars of camp for Georgia this year were freshmen. Adonai Mitchell, a wide receiver who, by all accounts, has sort of earned playing time and is going to be someone who, you know, maybe he doesn't unseat, say, a Rosemary Jack Saint or a Robinson, but is really impressed and is someone 
who, as he gets more game experience, can maybe take on a bigger role come the end of the season. Maybe, and I don't want to put this on him directly, but think about what George Pickens did in that 2019 season. You know, it was kind of quiet those first couple of games there, but by the end of the season, he had figured out what he was supposed to be doing and really came on strong for Georgia at the end of the year. Would not surprise me if Adonai Mitchell, you know, maybe not quite as productive as George Pickens, but follows a similar track there. And then the other freshman, Brock Bowers. Now, I think he was always going to play a role for this Georgia team regardless of what happened at the tight end position with injuries. They just don't have an athlete like him at that position. Obviously, he's not the blocker that Darnell Washington and John Fitzpatrick are just yet. Part of that is just because he's not six foot seven, 250 pounds in John Fitzpatrick's case and 280 pounds in Darnell Washington's case. But he also hasn't been through a, you know, a, a total offseason, a, a, a total year in this program. He's going to take some time to add some strength become better in the blocking game but in terms of athleticism in terms of what he might be able to bring to the passing game I think George has always been very excited about that he impressed very much in the spring and has only continued to do so here in the fall and we asked Kirby Smart about Brock Bowers on Saturday and the words you hear him say here it's not so much what he does physically that really caught my attention it was what Kirby Smart had to say about Brock Bowers and how mentally he's sort of begun to process things much faster. That's going to be a really big key against a Clemson team that has shown some vulnerability to tight ends in recent losses. Thaddeus Moss had two touchdown catches in the 2019-2020 National Championship game. Jeremy Ruckert last year when Ohio State ended Clemson's season had two touchdown catches in that game. Michael Mayer, a Notre Dame tight end, he had 10 catches in two games against Clemson. They have shown that they are willing that they can be beaten with tight ends. And so I think Brock Bowers and how he is used is going to be very interesting going into this first game. Here's what Kirby Smart had to say about Bowers. Player since he got here. You know, he came in the spring. He, he was probably swimming some in the spring. He's accelerated his learning. Uh, he's competitive. He works his tail off every day. Um, he's a joy to be around. He's what you want in a football player. So um, we've got to find a way to use his skill set and um he has no expectations from me. My expectations for him are to go out and lay it on the line and compete every day. And he does that. So I think Brock's going to be a really good football player. We're, we're certainly happy to have him and his family as part of our family. I'm excited to see what he can do. Right. So the injuries at the pass catcher position haven't been great for Georgia. Obviously, they're not going to have a veteran in George Pickens. Dominic Blaylock is still, at least publicly, not cleared yet to play in this first game. John Fitzpatrick is working with a foot, dealing with a foot injury right now where it sounds like he might play, but the question is how much and how effective is he when he goes out there and plays. Curious Jackson had arthroscopic knee surgery, and while he's been able to practice for Georgia, you wonder just what it's going to be like having to go 100% against a very strong Clemson secondary. So it's going to rely on these first and second year receivers to make plays in a big game. For a lot of these guys, maybe other than Jermaine Burton, this is going to be the biggest game that they have played in to this point in their Georgia career, certainly in the case of Mitchell and Bowers, and you could probably include Justin Robinson there as well. Arian Smith, I think, as well, because given he didn't play against Alabama or even Florida last season. So they're going to need these young receivers to play really well. And obviously JT worked with a lot of these guys this offseason and how he connects and clicks with them in a game situation. I think it's going to be very important if Georgia is going to beat Clemson. So that's the three main topics tonight, first, second, and third down. Now we open it up to you guys' questions, thoughts, comments you guys might have. Obviously, I think as we get closer to the game now, we can talk a little bit more about Clemson. Any other questions or comments you guys have out there, I'll gladly answer them. Uh, thanks for tuning in here on Connor and Coverage. Let's uh, fire up those questions. Uh, let me scroll here. Um, let's see. Um, let's let's keep the vaccine talk to a minimum here. Um, 
because this just is very much not the th the form to have it in. Um, yeah, so um, let's see. Questions, thoughts, comments here. Uh, I like this one uh, from Hubcap. Uh, who is the true underdog? A player that hasn't been mentioned that will have a major impact this year. For me, it's Channing Tindall. Reminds me of Roquan. All right, throwing out Channing Tindall and Roquan Smith there might be a little unfair to Channing, but I think Channing's a guy who's positioned himself well to have an impact this year. I think in an underdog name, you know, Latavius Breeny is a name to know. Obviously, I think everyone is focused all this offseason on Latavius Breeny, or not Latavius Breeny, excuse me, Tyke Smith. And he's a guy who played really well in the Peach Bowl for Georgia last year. Two tackles for loss, a pass breakup, was disruptive in that game in a way that Mark Webb wasn't usually for Georgia. And I think that's a big reason why that disruptive nature, they went out and brought in Tyke Smith. For all the talk around Smith, he was named the number one forty, the number 41 overall player in ESPN's Top 100 uh, that came out earlier this week. Brini's going to play a big role for this Georgia team. And so because of that, I think he's a guy to watch for. Um, let's see. I think Patrick is a really trusted guy. I, I think if you were 100% in that Clemson game, he'd maybe surprise people with how much he is involved. I mean, with the way the running back position is discussed, I kind of feel like Zamir might be a little bit of an underdog at this point, even though he is a second-team All-SEC selection. I know a lot of people expect big things out of Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh, who we got to hear from tonight. And so you wonder... You know, what does Amir's season look like? Does he does he have the big breakthrough season where he's a thousand yards and he has ten touchdowns as he did a season ago? Or is it a little bit more of a back by committee and, and all those guys do their own role very well, but no one is through the breakout Najee Harris, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire Star. So I think on the offensive side of the ball, you know, I'll, I'll say Zamir White is an underdog. I think a lot of people are sleeping on him and the potential that he could have, at least among the Georgia fan base. And then defensively, I think Latavius Brini is a guy who, even when Tyke Smith comes back healthy, I think is going to play an important role for this Georgia team. Uh, let's see. Um... Yeah, I guess Kevin Wood asked this question. Uh, Carson Beck, by all accounts, is going to be the second-string quarterback here for Georgia. I, I think one thing to watch this year is, you know, we touched a little bit on those blowouts and guys playing earlier. How does Carson Beck get in those games and is Kirby willing to open things up and throw in those moments? And also, what does Brock Vandergrift do? Because he's someone who has earned continued praise from this Georgia coaching staff, Todd Munkin and Kirby Smart. How does that... How does his development go? Because obviously I think we all expect JT Daniels this to be his final year at Georgia and him to go on to the NFL draft after hopefully a lot of success this season. And, and while Carson Beck is impressed and played well so far, Brock Vandergriff has the most talent in that room. And he is, I absolutely think, someone that should not be discounted going forward and what his role can be. He's an incredible athlete. Has, I, I, In my opinion, and I see questions, uh, you know, James Marble asked about what, what about JT's deep balls. Brock Vandergriff, in my opinion, has the best arm in that room. And, and James, to your question, that's going to be something that is a season-long story to follow because if you look at some of the advanced numbers, JT's deep ball were not great last season. And you can even think back to that Cincinnati game. Well, yes, he had two 50-yard completions, one to George Pickens and one to Arian Smith. If those balls are a little bit better, if those balls are a little bit more accurate, those go for touchdowns. And, and that's you know one thing in the, in the offseason, the way it's been talked about, Georgia's offense making that next step. They need to turn those types of plays, those 20, you know, 50 yards, for example, they need to turn those big plays into scoring plays more often. And if they're able to do that, if JT's able to improve his deep ball as he gets more comfortable in his knee, a year, another year removed from surgery, 
I think that's going to really up the level that this Georgia offense can get to. Uh, Trey Gulliver, yes, I did see the new Spider-Man trailer. I have seen it many times. Um, I'm very excited for it, uh, as I am for most Marvel movies. Uh, Clarence Dawson asks, score prediction. I don't know why. I feel like 23-17 kind of feels right. I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I like the under here. Uh, I think these two defenses are going to be, specifically the defensive lines, are going to be the strength. There are major questions in the uh, offensive lines for both sides here. And while DJ Uyunglele and JT Daniels are very much hyped quarterbacks and have a ton of potential, this is respectively going to be their third and fifth career starts. And so how they play in this game, I think is going to be worth watching. Uh, I think both these teams may not necessarily want to open things up right away. And I think if Georgia's going to win this game, I think they're going to need a lot from their running backs, both in the pass catching sense and in the running between the tackle sense. So I expect a little bit of a lower scoring game, you know, if you if if you're making me pick the spread, I need to know what the number is. If it's you know if it's Georgia, if it's Clemson minus three, I might like them there. If it's Clemson three and a half, I might take Georgia. So I, I expect it to be a close, low scoring game. I don't think it's going to be sort of what we have seen with you know Clemson. You think last year Ohio State was a very high scoring game. Georgia or LSU Clemson a high scoring game there as well. Um, Nigel Combs. So this is an interesting point. I, I it's something I kind of want to you know touch on a little bit more here. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Georgia's defensive backs and obviously the loss that they had. They lose four guys to the NFL draft. They lose two guys to power five transfers and Major Burns and Tyreek Stevenson. And I think Nigel does a good job of pointing out here, Bama last year, the wide receivers they had, LSU in 2019 when they had Terrace Marshall, Jamar Chase, and Justin Jefferson. Two of those guys' first-round picks. Marshall was a second-round pick. And obviously the four first-round picks that Alabama has had in recent years at the wide receiver position. But Clemson does not have that exactly obviously everyone is expecting big things from justin ross but this is going to be his first game in over a year he's coming off spinal surgery he's also coming off of covid and that has delayed his sort of ramp up for this first game we'll be interested to see how much they use him there but joe nada is another guy that they have high expectations for he's been battling a hamstring injury clemson's actually lost their top three wide receivers from last year's team and so uh, yes they have recruited that wide receiver position very well from a proven production standpoint, there are certainly some questions there. And because of that, I'm going to be really interested to see how this Georgia secondary matches up. Obviously, I think Darian Kendrick is going to be a starter. I expect you to see a lot of Keely Ringo, Jalen Green, uh, excuse me, Jalen Kimber, Amir Speed back there, that other cornerback position. I think all three of those guys are going to play. It's just a question of who does Georgia feel comfortable closing out that game with. Um, Let's see. Uh, this is a good one. Uh, Jake, Jake Kennedy asks above or under 42 sacks this season. That's right around the number. I think this team has to get to, and you know, you start doing the math. Can Adam Anderson get you over a dozen or not a dozen over 10 over a dozen. That's, that's just a real unrealistic expectation. I think or unfair one anyway. Uh, you know, can Nolan Smith get you six or seven? Can Trayvon Walker get you six or seven? Can, can Jordan Davis get you three or four? Um, you know, I, how, where do these sacks come from? And if you look at it a year ago, if they had played a 13-game schedule, Georgia would have gotten to 40 sacks. 40 sacks is usually the number you want to try to get to, but if Georgia's going to play, you know, 13 games, which would mean an SEC championship game, 14 games, which would be a college football playoff or a bowl game, I think they're going to be able to get over 
that 42 sack number, knowing that the way they have to play now is create negative plays, create disruptive plays, which has changed very much dramatically from those 2018 and 2019 Georgia defenses where they thought, all right, yeah, we're just going to dare the other offense to try and drive the field on us. And for a lot of days it worked, but against Alabama, against LSU, that wasn't exactly the case. So I think they know that that's how they have to play. Um, Triple Diesel, this is a good question. Uh, Is James Cook going to get over 100 all-purpose yards against Clemson? If he goes over 100, uh, barring him just being the only one that was able to do anything, I think that's a really good sign for this Georgia team. And if he goes over 100 all-purpose yards, I think there's a good chance Georgia ends up winning that game. Um, Let's see. Uh, John Williams Adams asked. So, yeah, the, the line right now, Clemson, Georgia, depending on what you get, is three, three and a half. Uh, I think it's the playoff pedigree that Clemson has in recent years. You know, experience. They've recruited very well there. I, I think the biggest reason that Clemson is favored over Georgia at this point is just Clemson has played and won in more of these games than Georgia has in recent years. And because of that, I, I think there's a little bit of reasoning why Clemson is a slight favorite there. Also, Georgia is a public team. You know, they, they just have a bigger fan base than Clemson has. And so because of that, Vegas has to find a way to get money in on this game. And so while people, you know, you look at recruiting rankings, Georgia's out recruited Clemson. It's a listing Clemson as a favorite is a reason I think more people might put more money down on Georgia and as a way to sort of, you know, make up the money. Whereas if Georgia's a three point favorite per se, you know, you wonder how much money actually ends up coming in on Clemson. Uh, let's see. Um, wow, a lot of questions and comments here. Um, let's see. Um, let, uh, that was a, hell, Rel, it's a good comment. I might address that later. Um, let's see. Questions, comments, thoughts. Uh, Jermaine King, so this is a good point. Yes, uh, a low-scoring game. Uh, I, I think Georgia is going to be able to play field position. They're going to be able to rely on their strong special teams. Clemson has never been really a great special teams team so to speak. And I think Georgia's really excelled there. Obviously they bring back Jay Camarda, who was a first team all American punter. You bring back Jack Budlesny, who was a very clutch kicker a season ago. While Georgia doesn't win this game, kicking field goals, they need touchdowns to, to beat Clemson. I think that they special teams edge that they have in this game. And let's not discount to the way that they played on punt return and kickoff return last year. Kenny McIntosh was one of the best returners in the country. Even if he never really broke the big one, Karis Jackson was a consistent six yards per return last year. That stuff matters in a game that I think is going to be close and tightly contested. Uh, SEC dog first team to 30 points wins. I'd probably agree with you there. I might even go as low first team to 24 wins. Uh, if you can get four scores in this game, if you can get three touchdowns in this game, I think that's going to bode very well for the winner here. Uh, let's maybe do one or two more questions as we've hit the 40 minute mark, which is usually our expiration date with this. Let's see. I want to go out on a good one. Um, so this will be our night. Let me get one more good one, but hell rail brings up. We have to win this game. We being Georgia, obviously, I don't agree with that. I think you can lose this game. And obviously Georgia's not going to go in thinking they're going to lose this game or wanting to lose this game. But I think Georgia can lose this game and still accomplish the goals that they want to. You, you look back in recent playoff seasons, you've seen teams lose in the regular season. You know, Clemson, uh, Clemson lost to Pitt and went on to win a national title. Alabama lost to Ole Miss at home. Actually, Clemson lost to Pitt at home as well. So you can still lose in the regular season. Ohio State lost to Virginia Tech. 
So, and with the schedule that Georgia plays, the SEC schedule, the fact that they're going to play potentially an SEC West team in the SEC championship game, they're still going to be able to, to control their own destiny and win their way into the playoff. Because I just don't believe an SEC champion is going to be denied from the playoff. Unless, you know, Mike Griffith's tinfoil, cat, tinfoil hat conspiracy about the playoffs just goes to another level now with the alliance coming out and being announced today between the ACC, Pac-12, and Big Ten. And a, a, a one-loss SEC champion is getting into the college football playoff. And so that's why it's not a game, you know, it's a game Georgia can still lose and the Bulldogs can go on to accomplish their goals, I think. So, but I, I certainly see where you're coming from. You know, certainly from a national standpoint, a perspective, a narrative standpoint, I think this would this would be a game where winning for Georgia would do them a lot of good. Um, let's see. Comments, thoughts, questions. Let's do one more to get out of here on. Um, let's see. I've done my score prediction. I had 23-17 as of right now. Um, let's see. Uh, so Donnie Smith. So I think this is one of the keys to the game. And, you know, you, uh, I forget who mentioned the comment. Nigel Combs mentioned it earlier. You know, if James Cook gets 100 yards, Georgia now with the injuries that they have and the pass catchers and, and sort of the way that camp has gone for them, if Georgia wins this game, I think the running backs play a huge role. And I mean, plurals and multiple guys, you're going to need multiple guys from that position room to play really well. Obviously James cook is probably the easiest one to identify. Can you get a big game from Zamir white? Can you get a big run from Kendall Milton? Can Kenny McIntosh and James cook impact the passing game here? I think you need multiple running backs to have a very positive impact in this game. If Georgia is going to end up winning. So thank you guys so much for the comments tonight. We're about 15 minutes there. So we will be back next Tuesday, obviously. Thursday, we have cover four. I don't know how much we'll get into Clemson, but I'm sure we'll talk about it a good bit. You have Jeff Sintel before the Hedges tomorrow. High school football is back in the state of Georgia. He got to see Gunnar Stockton and Malachi Starks play last week when Jefferson took on Rayburn County. You have Brandon Adams doing Dog Nation daily every Monday through Friday, and then you have Mike Griffiths with On the Beat on Mondays. This time next week, it'll be game week. It'll be here. We'll be in single digits. We'll be, I think, five days away from the Georgia Clemson opener. It's here. We have made it through the long offseason. We have one more Saturday to go before the Georgia Clemson game. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for talking with us all season. We're going to be talking here every Tuesday night during the season. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This has been Connor and Coverage, a Dog Nation show.